And so 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to read through verse 9. And if we, if we get through verse 9 today, I think we'll be doing pretty good. Unless something just really unusual happens and I go much faster than normal. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Let's read together. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, so then, I'm sorry, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants And he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. So let's look at these first nine verses. Now, I broke this chapter up into four sections, and I'll give you those four sections now, and if you want to write these down, and then you want to uh, study this and read over this this week, that would be great. But Paul makes four declarations about the Corinthians as he writes this letter. In verses 1 through 3, Paul says of the Corinthian believers, he says, you are still carnal. The implication there is that you are still carnal, but you shouldn't be, right? But nonetheless, he says, you are still carnal. In verses 4 through 9, Paul makes this declaration, you are God's field. You are God's field. And again, in verse 9 through verse 17, he says, you are God's building slash temple. The building is the temple. You are still carnal, you are God's field, you are God's building. And then in verses 18 through 23, we see something wonderful where Paul ultimately wraps it all up and he brings it together here and he says, you belong to God. He says, all things are yours. You are Christ's and Christ's is God, is God's. In other words, he says, you belong to God. You are God's. Not you are God's, but you belong to God in the possessive form. That's why I said you belong to God. Where do we belong to God? In Christ. We belong to God in Christ. This is very, very important. This is why we're not universalist. People say, well, we're all God's children. No, we're not all God's children. We're all created... In the image of God, we all bear the mark of God through God's creation, but we're not all God's children. 
God's very specific as to who are his children. His children are his in one place, in one place alone. We are God's children in Christ. Well, I think we'll get to that next week. So let's concentrate on the first two. You are still carnal, and you are God's field. 1 Corinthians, the first three verses, this is a call to mature spiritually. So look what Paul says. I, brethren, couldn't speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. Why don't we give our newborn babies ribeyes? I love ribeyes, right? But we don't give our newborn babies a ribeye, do we? We give them milk because they're not able to eat and digest a ribeye. Paul says, when I came to you, I couldn't give you ribeye. I had to give you milk. But you know what? You're old enough to eat a ribeye now, but you're still drinking milk because you are carnal. You're still carnal for where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, there are you not carnal and behaving as mere men. So husbands, wives... Parents, children, friends, family, co-workers, in the church, out of the church, this truth applies. Where there are divisions, where there are strife, envy, are you not carnal and behaving as mere men? So this is a call to mature spiritually, listen, according to divine nature. The key verse here is verse 3, where Paul says, you are still, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, he asks this question, are you not carnal in behaving as mere men? Do you see, see the distinction? He relates carnality. The word carnal means flesh, fleshly. I always say this, and it kind of grosses people out, but when you go to a Mexican restaurant and you order carne asada, you're really ordering flesh and gravy. But you don't like to think of it that way. But that's where we get the word flesh from, right? Carnal. He says, you're, you're, you're living out of, you're behaving fleshly. You're, you're living in the flesh. What, what is supposed to happen to our flesh? Romans chapter 6, Paul says, brethren, how can you live any longer in sin if you have been made dead to sin? Or Paul writes it this way in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So what's to happen to the flesh? It's to be crucified, right? And so Paul is saying, why are you guys acting like, behaving like mere men? Now, weren't they men? They, were they men? We're not talking to aliens, right? They, they were men. But Paul is giving us a contrast of nature. Now, remember, our problem with God is not our behavior. Our problem with God goes to something much deeper than our behavior. Right? My, I have a problem with my dogs at home. I've got five dogs in my backyard. They were all blessings from God. People gave them to me to bless me. You know how blessings can sometimes turn into a curse. Listen, I love my dogs. Sometimes. Most of the time. I got five dogs in my backyard because my neighbors got tired of my dogs eating their chickens. I live out in the country. So I told my neighbor, I said, if you got to shoot my dog, shoot my dog. 
I mean, I can't keep my dogs in. I've got two of them that I like Conway's analogy. He said he used to have two goats. He called them uh, Houdinis. And I got two dogs that are like Houdinis. They just can figure out how to get out that fence. I mean, I got electric wire. I mean, my neighbor let me use his electric charger for cows. I got an electric charger there to shock them into submission, and they still find, somehow find a way to get out. But now my problem, the problem isn't that they just get out all the time or that they bark at inopportune times. It's not just their behavior. The, the, the problem goes deeper than that. Their behavior is a result of their nature. They do, listen, they're blue healers. They're, they're cow dogs. And so when they see my neighbor's cows out there in the field, something just possesses them and they cannot help themselves. They find a way to get out of that fence and they spend all day chasing cows around the field. It's just, it's in them. It's bred in them. It's part of their DNA. It's part of their nature, so their behavior is a product of their nature. So Paul is saying, hey, Corinthians, you guys confess to be Christians. You confess to be born again. You confess to have crucified the old nature, Adam, and been born again with the new nature, Christ, but yet you're behaving like mere men, like Adam, like the old man. That's how you're behaving, but yet you tell me your nature is different. Which is it? And so he's contrasting here the nature of the old man, Adam, and the nature of the new man, Christ. And so if we have indeed become partakers of the new nature, who is Christ, what should our life manifest? It should manifest Christ. Now, I'm not trying to act like Christ and behave like Christ so God will accept me. That's not how it works. If that's the way salvation works, then we're not saved by grace. We're saved by works. And Christ wasted his time coming because we could have just worked harder at keeping the law, right? But the problem was we couldn't keep the law because it was impossible for us to keep the law. And when God gave the law, he knew it was impossible for us to keep it. That's why he gave it to us because he wanted us to realize that we can't be good enough for him. And our only recourse is to just finally in utter futility and utter frustration and utter surrender say, God, I give up. I'm hopeless. And at that point, God doesn't leave us in our state of hopelessness. When God turns the light on and we realize Jesus is the only answer, that's when we realize we've come to the end of ourselves. There, there is nothing I can do. My only hope is the grace of God. My only hope is the Son of God. My only hope is the finished work of the cross. My only hope is to be born again by the power of God and crucify the old man and the old nature and live now anew, resurrected in the life of Christ according to the new nature. And so if I have become a partaker of that divine nature, Christ who is my life, then my life should begin to reflect that nature, manifest that nature, right? So as a husband, I, I, I don't talk to my wife the same way I did at one time. Or as a parent, maybe I don't talk to my children the same way I did at one time. When we talk about being gospel-centered, that doesn't mean 
just coming to church and hearing a message about Jesus. That means when I live my life the way I live my life, it should all be centered in the gospel. The way I raise my children should be gospel-centered. It should be cross-centered. The cross, Christ, the message, that message should be at the center of everything, the way I relate to people. It should all be centered in the gospel. It should all be centered in Christ. If I don't know how to do that, listen, this is why we come together week in and week out. This is why we study the scripture. This is why we have groups like that gospel-centered woman where we can come together and we can talk about these things. See, I'm doing all the talking right now on Sunday morning. It's, it's in those times when that's why those groups and those times are important because that's the time when you guys can come together and you can begin to flesh this out. You can begin to let the Spirit of God begin to bring revelation as you interact and as you talk about these things and as you go into the scripture and you see what God has to say and you can begin to become transparent and allow God to begin to just do a work, the work that only he can do. And so Paul says to these believers, he says, you guys, why are you behaving like mere men? So here's the key truth. If we have been born again, we're to live according to the new nature the new man, Jesus Christ. And we are to live no longer according to the old nature or the old man, Adam. Remember, this is why Jesus was called the last Adam. We have a first Adam and we have a last Adam. We have a first man and we have a second man. Adam was the first man. Jesus was the second man. Not literally the second man, but he was the second order of man. We, need, we were all born from our mother's womb according to the first man, according to the order of Adam, we need to be born again according to the second man, the Lord from heaven. Amen? And this is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a call. Paul is calling these believers to spiritual maturity. He's calling them to put off the carnal nature that has been crucified with Christ. Divisions are rooted in the flesh. Unity with diversity, or let's just say maturity in the Spirit. Maturity in the Spirit produces unity with diversity. We don't all have to have the same color hair. You don't, listen, you guys don't all have to be bald like me. I mean, I know you wish you were, but you don't have to be. I love you just the same, all right? Uh, you, you can be, you can be uh, brown, black, white, purple, green, red. It doesn't really matter. You know, all of our blood's red, okay? We're one in Christ. There's unity and diversity through the Spirit. But if we're living flesh-centered, carnal lives, I guarantee you there's going to be division. There'll be, be division in the home, division at work, division wherever you are. And so as believers, as partakers of the divine nature, as born-again Saints of God, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. We are to be ruled by the Spirit of God. Grow up in Him, into all things, and allow the unity of the Spirit to bring the peace that Christ brought when He came to this earth. Amen? For you were once darkness, Paul writes to the Ephesians, Ephesians 5.8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. God cares about our behavior and that it speaks of our nature. We are to live according to the nature that we have in Christ. Amen? So then he goes on. Let's look at verses 4 through 9. 
Verse 4, For when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who then is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. You should mark that in your Bible right there. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Who is anything? Not he who plants, not he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Verse 7, so then, I'm sorry, verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. There's unity. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. We're going to talk about you are God's building next week. So, in verses 1 through 3, we had a call to mature spiritually according to divine nature. In verses 4 through 9, we have a call to manifest Christ fully according to divine increase. We have a call to manifest fully Christ according to divine increase. So the key verse is verse 7 and verse 9. Look at verse 7. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Who gives the increase? How many of you have a garden? I don't care, vegetable, flower. How many of you ever planted anything and it it grew? I didn't ask you how long it grew, but but you planted and, and, okay, you planted, you watered. But let's be honest. Who made it grow? God did. I mean, can, can you explain to me how things grow? I mean, I know we could go to, you know, if you biology freaks out there, you can probably tell me all that. But who created all that? God did. God did that. God, in creation, he said, this is how I'm going to do things. I'm going to make seeds. They're going to get put in the ground, and I'm going to make them grow. I, I, I put that life. What, what is it that causes the seed to grow? It's the life that's inherent in the seed. That's what makes it grow. There's life in that seed, and that life causes it to grow. So some plant, some water, but God brings the increase. Now, Paul makes a very interesting statement. Verse 9, he says, you are God's field. Oh, man, we could spend a long time talking about this, but I've only got 20 minutes. Aren't y'all glad I'm not going to try to go through the whole chapter today? Okay, so here's, here's the key truth I want you to get. The increase that God wants to bring is the increase of his seed, okay? You are God's field. Now, I live out in the country. I've got farmland all around me. I know some farmers. Look, we've got some farmers in this this, uh, congregation here. And I know if Mr. Rao or Conway or any other farmer plants something in the ground... They're not putting that seed in the ground so that they can multiply the dirt that they have. No farmer plants a seed hoping to get more dirt. He plants a seed because he wants the seed to increase. Paul makes a very interesting statement. He says, you are God's field. And the increase that God is looking for is not the increase of the dirt. He's looking for the increase of the seed. Now, this does a lot. This... First and foremost, what this does, this really takes all the attention off of us and puts it where it really should be. 
Man doesn't get the glory, God gets the glory. God's created order is all about God's glory, not man's glory. We are privileged to be a part of God's plan. We're privileged to be the apple of God's eye. We're privileged to be the crowning jewel of God's creation. But even though all of that is true, when it all comes down to it, the plan, the purpose, the point of everything is not our glory, it's his glory. And so thus Paul says, you are God's field. Listen, the ground, the field plays a very important part, but the field is really just there to get really what the farmer wants. The farmer wants the increase of the seed. So we have been born again. I'm sorry. So it's neither he who plants, neither he who waters, that's anything, but it's God. And so the increase that God wants to bring is the increase of his seed, who is Christ. So we're God's field. That means we're the vessel or the container that holds the seed. You guys get that? A field, dirt, ground is just a vessel. That's all it is. It's just a vessel that contains the seed. So it's not the field or the dirt that increases, but the seed. The dirt holds the seed, some plant, some water, but it's God who causes the seed to grow, bringing the increase. And it's through the preaching of the gospel that the seed is planted and watered, but it is God by the power of his spirit that causes the seed to grow, that causes the seed to increase. Amen? So, we are commanded to be disciples, preaching the gospel to every creature, going and making disciples. That's what we're commanded to do. Amen? When we preach the gospel, we're planting, we're watering, and we understand that there are no power. There's, there's no power in my word. This is what we looked at in, in the first two chapters of Corinthians here. Paul says, hey, I came not in excellence of speech. It wasn't my ability to persuade you to believe in Jesus. It was the power and the demonstration of the Spirit. The fact that you believe, Paul said, says nothing about my ability to speak to you. It says everything about the power of God working in you. Because all I did was sow some seed and throw some water out there. It was the power of God that caused your faith to spring forth. So this is a call... This is a call, remember, to, to manifest fully Christ. This is a call to recognize that the increase in the glory belong to God and not to man. God wants an increase of the seed who is Christ, not the ground who is man. God cares about us the way the farmer cares about the ground. Now hear this, church. We're not just some inanimate thing to God. So Paul says, you are God's field. Say, well, God doesn't care about us. You know, I thought we were his children. Well, you are his children, but you're also his field. You're also called a jar of clay, right? You're also called a branch. So when, when, the, when the Holy Spirit inspires the writers of Scripture to use these word pictures, these metaphors, how are we to understand it? We understand it in the context of, of God's created order, but think about a farmer. God cares about us the way a farmer cares about the ground containing the seed. God cultivates, he nurtures, he cares for the ground, but our ultimate purpose as the ground is the glory of God through the increase of the seed. 
That's our ultimate purpose. We're not going, hey, look at this field. It's awesome. Look at this pile of dirt. Isn't it the most beautiful pile of dirt you've ever seen? No. The point of the dirt is it is the container and the glory of God is the increase of the seed. So when we go back to the very beginning of the Genesis story, the mandate God gave creation that he gave to man in the beginning, he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Have as many kids as you can and fill the earth. Not just fill them with kids, but the point is that we're going to fill the earth with the image of God. More important than that, we're going to fill the earth with the glory of God. And the prophet says in the the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth, will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And where is the glory of God known and seen? 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it's known and seen in the face of Jesus Christ. The mandate to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth is the mandate that the glory of God in Jesus Christ would fill all in all. This is what Paul says in, in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. He is seated above every other thing. It's been given to us, the church, to be seated with him. We are his body. He is the head over the church, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness of Christ who fills all in all, but who is right there with Christ, filling all in all. His body is, his church is, his people is. Why is that? Because we have been commanded as his body as his hands, as his feet, as his mouth. He's, we've been commanded to go out and declare the gospel, to plant, to water, and trust God to bring the increase, to bring the increase. And so God is interested in filling the earth with the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, and 23, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. God cares for you. Do you realize, church, what a privilege it is that God took us? So if we believe what the scripture declares, let's Let's take Paul's words in his letter to the Romans, and he's quoting from the Old Testament prophets, and he says, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seek after God, no, not one. There's none, listen, none who deserve God's love. There's none who deserve what God has poured out when he's poured out his grace and his love and his life to us. We weren't looking for it. We had all gone astray. But yet, by the grace of God, God has chosen. I want to ask you this morning, do you know that you are saved? Do you know that that if you were called home right now by the Lord, that you would go straight to be in the presence of the Lord. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. He's talking to the believer. And do you know that if you died and, and, and were called home, 
Would you go to be in the presence of the Lord, not because you lived a good life, not because you were very faithful in church, not because you did all kinds of good things or, or because your life was much better than it was worse? Or Do you know that you're saved today because God in his grace reached down and pulled you out of death, put you in life? Are you saved today because you know that you were once darkness, but God, in, by his word, spoke light and it shone out of your heart? Do you know that you're saved today because though you were born of the first Adam in the flesh, apart, separated, hopelessly separated from God in your sin, that you have been born again by the power of God, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ? It's not of your works. You can't boast about anything but it's what God has done. Do you know that you're saved today because of that? Or are you unsure about what might happen to you should God call you out of this earth? You know, death is not something the believer is supposed to fear. The Bible says God knows the number of our days. You don't and I don't, but God does. And death, the cessation of life in this physical body, is not something that we should fear. Because death is not the sensation of life in our physical bodies. That's really not how the Bible defines death, ultimately. Ultimate death is separation from God. Remember, Jesus said, don't fear those that have power to kill your body. Fear him who has power over your soul to cast it into hell. And based on what the scripture declares to us, what the scripture teaches is that we all deserve hell. But by the grace of God, we will not all see hell. I love what my friend Rick Troutman will always say. He said, for some people, this is as close to heaven as they'll ever get. And for others, this is as close to hell as they'll ever get. Where are you? Where are you today? Is this time that you'll spend on this earth, this beautiful earth, this wondrous earth, with all the beauty and all the splendor and all the wonder and majesty of it, is, is this as close to heaven as you'll ever get? I pray it's not. But I don't want you to ever leave this place thinking that you're going to get to heaven because you are a good person or because you did good things or because you worked really hard. I don't want your salvation to be something that you hope you have. I want your salvation to be what the writers of Scripture declare, that you may know that you have eternal life. I had someone ask me one time, they said, do you believe you, can, you know that you have eternal life? I said, absolutely. They said, I think you're, you're arrogant. No one can know that. I said, that's not what the scripture declares. Paul says, I, I, John says, I write these things that you might know that you have eternal life. Jesus said, I'm declaring these things to you, my disciples, so that you, your joy would be full and that my joy would remain in you. Listen, the joy of the Lord is not fleeting. The joy of the Lord is eternal. In your presence is fullness of joy, Psalm 1611. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore.
If you're born again today, if you're born again right now, if you have by grace through faith in Jesus Christ been saved, then you have the promise of Psalm 1611. You're not waiting to live in his presence one day. In in reality, in, in a way, you live in his presence right now because you are in Christ right now. But this isn't as good as it gets. That's the good news. Here's the sad news. For some, this is as good as it gets. But for the believer, this is not as good as it gets. Though I live in his presence now, though I'm seated in heavenly places with him at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus, though all things are under my feet because I'm part of the body of Christ, this is not as good as it gets. One day this mortality will will put on immortality. One day this corruption will put on incorruption. One day I will be shed of this thing called my body that limits me and God has made a promise to me that I will be raised in new life, in resurrection life, physically. We're going to live We're going to rule, we're going to reign on a real earth. We're not going to float around on clouds for all eternity. We're going to reign and we're going to live on a real earth that's been made new in bodies that have been made new. We didn't purchase that for ourselves. We didn't work for that ourselves. God has given that to us in Christ by his grace. Have you received his grace? Have you trusted him? And know that what he gives you in Christ isn't what you deserve, but you are so very thankful that he has given you life in his son. Amen. You are God's field. God wants your life to manifest his glory. Let's all stand. I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal. And then I want to invite you, if you're here today and you don't know whether you are truly born again, or maybe you have questions about some of the things that I've talked about, I would love to talk with you. I would love to be able to pray with you. There's no magic in your prayer or my prayer. Okay? It's the power of God. But all of us are called to come to a point that we recognize our need for a Savior. If you recognize that and you have never trusted Him, you've never surrendered to Him, I would love to talk with you after the service. Amen? Father, we thank You for who You are. And we thank You for Your goodness, God. We thank You for Your grace. Lord, we say God is good, and we respond all the time. But in reality, God, it is beyond our comprehension to really know the depth of your goodness. Lord, we speak of your love, we sing of your love, but it's beyond our ability to comprehend in our humanness, in the finite nature of our minds. It's impossible, God, for us to comprehend your love. But yet, God, we know that you've poured out your love in our hearts. The Spirit of Christ in us bears witness to that. And Lord, we just stand before you this morning, and we are so very thankful for who you are. 
We are so very thankful, God, that you came to us. Lord, you didn't wait for us to come to you because you knew we could not. Lord, you came and you rescued us. You came and you saved us. You came among us. You took on flesh. You lived a sinless life. You walked a cruel road and you died on a cross. But you rose again and you ascended and you sit today at the right hand of majesty. And you live to ever make intercession for us. And for that, God, we are so very thankful. But even more than that, Lord, you have poured your spirit into our hearts. And we possess something, God, that is beyond human comprehension. And Lord, our prayer today is that we would not try to humanly comprehend it. Our prayer today, God, is that we would yield and lay down the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of this age. And we would embrace the foolishness of God. That we would indeed, God, cry out to you to open the eyes of our understanding by the power of your Spirit, to break open our hard hearts, to break down the walls that we erect in our hearts and in our minds. I pray, God, that your love would cast away all of our fear. I pray, God, that you would, by grace, enable us to see you for who you are and to know and to experience your infinite, your unconditional love for us. Lord, if there are any here today who have never known you, who are not known by you, I pray, God, that you would, by your Spirit, Lord, bring them from death to life and open their blind eyes and open their deaf ears and that they would cry out to you and call out to you, the only Savior. We thank you, Lord, that your word is true. And you declare to us, God, that when we preach the gospel, your word is powerful. And we trust, God, that your word has gone forth in power today. And that your spirit is working in each of our hearts for your glory. Father, I lift up the Master's family to you today. I lift up Loretta, uh, specifically her brother Ralph, who is dying of cancer. And Lord, uh, the doctors say he's dying and he's on a a bed someone call his deathbed, but Father, you know the number of his days, and there is not anything too difficult for you. I thank you, Lord, that he trusts you, that he's a believer, that's a believing family. But even though they have great faith and they trust in your sovereign will, Lord, death is a hard thing. And if this is his time to be called home, Father God, I pray that you would pour out your grace, your peace, your comfort upon this family. But Lord, we don't just give in and say it's his time because we don't know that. And so, God, we believe that even this very moment you could touch him and heal him and raise him up. We just pray, Father God, that you work in that situation and bring your peace and your comfort to all those that love Ralph. Father, we thank you for Nadine today, Lord, her second Sunday in church. And, Father, we just lift her up to you today and just thank you for the miracle of her recovery. And we pray, Father God, that you would continue to work miraculously in her recovery, that day by day she would grow stronger and stronger and stronger physically, mentally, in every way, Father God. 
I pray for Roland that you give him strength, Lord, as he cares for his wife. That, God, you would supernaturally cause your grace to abound in his life. That he would have the strength, the stamina. I thank you for the unconditional and unlimited love and compassion he has for his beloved and the witness that their lives are to so many, Father God. And Lord, we lift up Cindy to you today and just pray, Father God, that Lord, in spite of a diagnosis from the doctors that say there is no hope, Father, we know there's always hope in you. And Lord, we trust that even the treatment she's taking right now, God, you can take that, you can use that, and you can cause healing to manifest in that body. Lord, we pray that you would continue Lord, to just pour out your grace, your peace, your comfort to her and to black. And I pray, God, you do a work by your spirit in each of their hearts. And you know the work that needs to be done there. And we trust you, God. We cast, Lord, even as I know Cindy has, all of her cares on you because, Lord, you care for her. Lord, I just bless this people today. Lord, thank you for their attentiveness to your word. I pray, Father God, that as they leave this place, they would go in the joy and the peace and the blessing of the Lord and that they would be salt and light to the earth, to the world, to those around them. God, you would shine your light through them. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll give the Lord a good hand. Praise God. If you have questions, you want prayer, um, please come. I would love to visit with you and talk with you. And Have a great day. The book of John is what we're studying on Wednesday night, so come on out.